You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. so much for joining the Manifesting God podcast. I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth. Again, thank you so, so much for joining. Come on, get to Proverbs 6, and you know our topic today, your cheating heart. Let's get to Proverbs 6. We're going to start at verse 2, and then we're going to take it from there. I want to share some things that God showed me regarding our heart and how it can betray. It can betray the very thing that we say that we believe. Proverbs 6 verse 2, it says, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thou mouth. So we have two things going on here. We are snared and we are taken with our own words. We are snared and taken with our own words. Let's skip on down to verse 16 in Proverbs 6 because it's explaining to us how we are snared and how we are overtaken with our own words. It says in verse 16, these six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18 says, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness, verse 19 says, that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Verse uh, 20 says, my son, my son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thy heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. What shall lead thee? The father's commandments, the laws of the mother. In other words, that which has been taught you, it shall lead you. And guess what? When you sleep, even when you sleep, it shall keep you. And when you awake, wait, when you wake up, it's going to talk to you, the commandments of your father, the laws of your mother, that which you have been taught in God, it's going to lead you and it is going to keep you when you sleep and it is going to talk with you. It is going to talk with you. Go to uh, Luke 6 and 45, Luke 6 and 45. It says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. A good man can only bring forth that which is good. A good man can only manifest that which is good. And an evil man, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart can only bring forth that which is evil. 
An evil man can only bring forth out of his heart, because his heart is evil, that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of your heart, the mouth speaks. So that's why the Bible tells us we guard our heart because out of our heart pours the issues of life or the actions of life. Our actions, our actions speak louder, way louder sometimes than our words because out of our heart pours our actions. Our heart is going to dictate our actions actions. You know, it's something the old folks used to say. They say, let's call a spade a spade. And see, I had thought that as a child, that just simply meant be honest, be honest. There were a lot of things as a child I considered growing up in my, in my neighborhood. See, I grew up in a Baptist church. However, even in a Baptist church, it seemed as if at that time that whatever I had conjured up, pretty much to think that it was okay for me to do whatever excuse I could come up with to make that thing that I wanted to do as a child. Okay. My pastor would meet me on Sunday morning, meet the congregation on Sunday morning, and he would be seemingly waiting to dispel any defense that I had built up to protect my own logic on what I was willing to apply to my daily life. See, there was one thing that I had as growing up as a Baptist, and that was that I had a disciplined life. That was something that was strictly taught as in the 70s when I was growing up around the 12-year-old and the teenage years. It was that time when we were taught discipline. We were taught how to live a godly life, and we were taught what God considered permissible and what God did not consider permissible. And for those of us who grew up in church, we knew, we knew right from wrong. No matter how bad we tried to disguise it, no matter how much we tried to act like we did not know, we knew right from wrong. Our reasoning, our logic, we knew right from wrong. Let me give you an example. When I hit that age, about 12, 13, I was getting ready to become a teenager. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be a part. And for some reason, I thought that lying was going to get me there. So no matter, no matter what happened, no matter what was going on, what the conversation was, I just had to be a part at that young age. I had to be a part. So I lied to fit into the conversation. I lied for no reason at all. I, my lies had nothing to do with nothing. It, it was like the old people used to say, uh, you know, you tell a lie when the truth would do just as good. I had no reason to lie. I just wanted to fit. I just wanted to fit. But the issue was that I was a PK. I was a pastor's kid and everyone knew my parents and everyone knew that my, I was restricted. They knew that I couldn't do what they could do. They knew that I had limited freedom and no choice. Everyone that grew up with me and around me knew that about my life because I grew up at a time where one side of the, of the, of the highway all went to the same church. And then the other side of the highway went to the church that was on that side of the highway. So we all knew and fellowshiped with each other. 
So everyone knew the limitations of my life. I was the only one that thought that they believed the lies that I was telling. I was the only one who thought that they believed as a child the lies that I was telling. But I thought that that helped me to fit in. I thought that it helped me to be a part. I thought that it made me blend and be, and be, and be accepted and to be accepted. The goal was to be accepted until, until one Sunday morning, my pastor at that time, and for those of you who are in, from Sharon Hill, you remember Walter Avenue Baptist Church. You remember Reverend Strong was our pastor. And that, that particular, one particular morning, he got up and he actually ministered and he taught on being a liar. And he taught on the fact that being a liar was evidence that you were of Satan because he said that being of Satan, knowing that Satan was the father of lies, that if you were a liar, then you had to be the child of Satan. And then, you know, at that time, the senior mothers, they had this phrase where they said, if you, and you guys are going to remember this, if you lie, you'll cheat. If you cheat, you'll steal. If you steal, you'll kill, you know? And so he went and he broke all of that down and when he got done that Sunday morning, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my lying didn't seem warranted. It didn't seem worth it to try and fit in. It's called reconciling your truth. You got to make a decision. And even at that young age, I knew I had to make a decision. I can either lie, which was really lying to myself because nobody believed me because they knew that my parents were not that free and did not let me do the things that I said that I was doing in my effort to try and blend in with their freedom. They knew that I wasn't doing any of the things that I said. So I had a choice. I could either believe my own lie and let it guide me just to fit in, or I could accept the truth of my life. And it was that my life was a strict life. It was a disciplined life. And whatever else that was going on amongst my friends, no, I did not have those privileges. And yes, I was going to be teased because I didn't have those privileges. And yes, I was going to be teased because I didn't fit in because I was different. So I, it was like, you make the choice. I knew at that young age that I had to make the choice. So I decided not to lie anymore. So I forsook it. Cold turkey, just dropped it, just dropped it. And what that bought on was a boldness. It bought on the boldness to simply own my life, own the restrictions, own the disciplined life that I had, own the restrictions that my parents had on me. So what I did was I just simply, if I didn't do that, I just simply said, no, I didn't do that. No, I don't have access to that. No, I'm not allowed to do that. No, I can't go to the party. No, I can't hang out. No, I can't just walk over to a friend's house to hang out on a Friday evening. No, 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 I'm not allowed to do that. So I had to make up my mind at a young age what I was willing to accept about my life and what I was not. I could have simply gone online and been a liar to today. But I had to learn, even at that young age, the Bible tells us when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. But when I got older and in that moment, when I got, when I got an understanding, because older didn't necessarily meant, mean age, older actually meant when maturity caught up with wisdom. 
And in that moment, maturity caught up with wisdom. And I realized that I could not keep going down that path or I was going to grow up to be a liar. And I was going to walk in this world that I create for myself. That's absolutely not true. And I did not want to be considered a child of Satan. Because back then, when preachers preach, us young people, we were impressionable, as in we believed them. Today, our young people are, are not as impressionable. They don't always believe the word coming from the pulpit. They believe that they can find another way around it. We didn't believe that growing up. I didn't believe that growing up. I didn't believe that I could find a way around it. And little did I know at that time, because I was born a prophetess, I was always black and white. It was either yes or no. It was either hot or cold. I was never, ever lukewarm. So once I found out the truth, I on purpose made a conscious effort not to do the thing that God did not like. And the Bible tells us that God hates a lying tongue. And I knew that there was no exception just for me just for me. And the Bible tell the Bible, the t my teacher at the time, my pastor at the time told me, he explained, he explained from the pulpit teaching everyone that, you know, Satan is a liar. And if you lie, you are the child of Satan because you are a liar and the child of God would not lie because God hates a lying tongue. And that's strong words for me. That was strong words then. And it's strong words now that God hates a lying tongue. Sometimes it makes me think about the scripture that says that people will get into heaven and they'll be like the Lord. They'll be like, but Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I cast out devils. And he'll be saying, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I knew, I know you not. And it makes me wonder if this, the scripture that God is referring to when he says the six things that he hates, when he says that he hates a proud look. So he hates arrogance. He hates a lying tongue. He hates those who go to shed innocent blood. He hates those that just sit and imagine wicked things, wicked ways, evil ways to get at people, feet that run to mischief. You always run into gossip. You're always running to mischief. He hates those who tells, who tell lies, who, who lie on their brother or their sister. He hates those that sow discord, that sow division, that sow division. He advises in this scripture, it is advised that the commandments that your father teaches you, the commandments that your mother teach you, he advises that you carry those commandments as if it's a necklace around your neck. In other words, you got to put it on. You have to put it on. You have to put it on so that when you touch your neck, it's a reminder. It's a reminder of what you've been taught. It's a reminder of what you've learned. It's a reminder of the things that are important to God. And you'll put those things that are important to God above what is important to you. Because you understand that when you go, if you remember that, if it's bound around your neck, when you go, you'll remember the things that God hates. I am not to lie. I am not to cause divisions and schisms. I am not to, to promote my wicked imagination 
is the imaginations of my flesh. I am not to run towards mischief gossip. I am not to bear a false witness against my brothers or my sister. I am not to sow discord. It will bind you. And then on top of that, because it's around your neck, even when you're sleeping and the enemy tries to sow those seeds of discord, those seeds of a liar, those seeds of mischief, that it will protect you. It will protect you. It will protect you. And when you awake, it's going to talk to you. Those words that you've been taught, that the things that God, it will remind you. It will remind you. See, what happened was once my pastor taught at that age, taught what a liar was and how God hated it. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening, but because I understood what he was saying, it became tied around my neck. And it reminded me every time that I thought to tell a lie, it reminded me, God hates that. God hates that. So I started telling the truth. And if I didn't want to tell you a lie, but I didn't want to tell you the truth because it was none of your business or because I didn't feel like you'd understand, I would say, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Nope. That's not up for discussion. So I learned to own, I learned to own my disciplined way. I learned to own, I learned to own the rules and the regulations that were set around me as borders, as borders to keep me from sinning against God, to keep me from disobeying my parents, the rules that they set for me to guide my life. It took time. I had to constantly remind myself, don't do this. Don't do that. You can't say that. You can't do this. See, because the thing is what, what, what happened was when, like I told you, I grew up Baptist. So Baptist at that time, I don't know how it is today, but at that time, Baptist, it was, they taught you how to live godly. It was about app application, Christian application. They taught you how to be a disciplined one, a disciple of Christ. Right. But when I got older and because I had relatives that were in church of God in Christ, I was always like, uh, you know, fellowshipping with them. My sister would take me to my older sister. Who's now with the Lord would take me to programs and we go to midnight musicals. And, you know, I had aunts that were and uncles that were in the church of God in Christ. So we would go to different programs. So I was always intrigued with church of God in Christ. And what I found out with church of God in Christ, it was like the Baptist, um, growing up Baptist, that practice taught me discipline. Right. But when I quote unquote, defected to Kojic. When I got older, it taught me, it was like one taught me how to live naturally as a Christian. And the other Kojic taught me the deeper things because in Baptist, they didn't talk about apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers. So I didn't know they existed, but yet I was born a prophetess from my mother's wound rejected. I was born a prophetess, but I didn't even know that I existed. I didn't even know because I had not been taught that. I had not been taught that. Now I can speak, I can, I can only speak to the organizations, the religious organizations that I grew up in, which was Baptist. And then, um, 
And then from there, I went to Kojic. And see, the thing is that spiritual application that was taught in Kojic, that took me to the next level. And you notice now what they have today. And I'm answering a lot of questions from the letters that I'm getting. What is the difference? What they have today is a lot of non-denomination um, churches. And the reason why I believe, I don't know, but from my experience, you might have a non-denominational church because non-denominational churches tend to cover a full, the full spectrum. They tend to, to unify the Christian's vision so that you understand all that is God, not just the discipline, not just the spiritual aspect of God, but actually that you're able to apply it, not you're able to live it. They put a demand on you to actually be able to live it, not just mimic it, not just mimical, mimic spiritual spiritualness or the spiritual aspect of God, but to actually be able to be, to live that disciplined life outside of the church, in your job, in your homes, to actually be able to live it. See, there, the differences were you had things growing up like in Kojic, they were big at that time, big on Ephesians 4 and 11. And they gave some apostles and he gave some prophets. It was like, you, you know, you were taught the roles. So people knew how to act out the roles. They knew how to be pious in their roles. They knew how to, how to walk in, 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 um, in um in the pride and the pride of the role that they that they carried it but we found later on that you couldn't live anything they had no discipline and then you had some other religions that were teaching you the actual the actual discipline but they lacked the apostles, they lacked the prophets, they lacked the roles in the church that would govern the body of Christ because they simply didn't teach it. But yet every, every religion, I had friends that were Methodist growing up and everyone seemed to teach, you know, Ephesians 4 and 1, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called with all lowliness and meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. They purposely explain there is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called to the hope of your calling, everyone is given grace unto the measure of the gift of God. But from the pulpit of various religious practices, I've noticed throughout the years, we take bits and we take pieces of what God is saying according to our various roles and responsibilities that we believe that Jesus has called us to when instead Christ is calling for us as he did John in Revelations 10, 9 through 10 to eat the entire scroll. See, when you when we are not called to eat when we are not, when it is not demanded of us, when there is not a demand put on us to eat the entire scroll, to understand Christ in the fullness of his power from beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, to understand everything that God has given us to understand. When we are not called to do that, when we are not, um, what's the word for, when we are not 
commanded to do that. Then we have what I refer to and am referring to today. We slip into a cheating heart. We begin to operate between the natural and the spiritual. We begin to operate again between the natural and the spiritual. The body of Christ tends to walk in division, competition, and arrogance because it refuses to eat and digest the word of God. Hence, we have a house that cannot stand. It cannot stand. Why? Because it's warring against itself. It's warring against itself. See, God is saying today that I am doing away with the piety. And that is the devoutly religious, the making of hypocritical display of virtue, of hope, sincere, that's unlikely, sincerity, that's unlikely to be fulfilled. I'm doing away with the pious pulpit. I'm doing away with that. I'm doing away with the sanctimonious seat. Sanctimonious being making a show of being morally superior to other people. I'm doing away with the pious pulpit. I'm doing away with the sanctimonious seat. I will no longer receive the lie. I will make no exceptions for the liar, the arrogant, the proud, the wicked of heart or imagination the mischievous or, uh, you know, the mischievous being an action or a thing causing or intended to cause harm or trouble. I'm no longer making exceptions for the divider. Their rule has ended. The rule of the divider has ended. The rule of the pious pulpit has ended. The rule of the sac- sanctimonious seat has ended. The rule of the lie and the liar has ended. The rule of the arrogant and the proud, the wicked of heart, the the wicked imaginer, their rule has ended and they will read they will deceive the saints no longer. They will deceive the people of the most high God no longer because God is saying, I'm the one that's God and I change not. I have not changed my mind. So to the liar, to the deceiver, to the arrogant, to the prideful, I have not changed my mind. I will, I will, and I have removed you. I will and I have removed you. You see, a cheating heart likes to live in between the rules of God. The cheating heart wants to live in between the natural and they want to live in between the flesh and the spirit. They want to live in between the carnal and the spiritual nature. They pick and choose when they need either and whatever they need at that time, that's what they bring forth. If a lie is what they need at that time, they bring the lie forth. If the truth is what they need at that time, they bring the truth forth. If deception 
is what they need at that time. They bring deception forth. If if it if it's a call for unity, if they need unity right now, they will bring forth unity. However, if they need division, they're going to bring forth division and schism. If they need a wicked imagination, they'll adopt the wicked imagination. But if they need the godly imagination, then they're going to bring forth the godly imagination. They can switch in between. They are chameleons. They are chameleons. Those that have the cheating heart are those that are chameleons. Chameleons can turn into whatever they need to turn in at any given moment. They are like Superman or Superwoman. They can throw on a uniform and they can hop in to save the day with whatever weapon they need to save the day. But God is saying that I'm confronting you now and I'm destroying your tools. A cheating heart is a divided heart. It is a disloyal heart. It has even deceived itself into thinking that it is accepted amongst the believers. But see, the believers, they see you now because I'm exposing you now. So those that are under the sound of my voice will now know a person of a cheating heart, a disloyal heart, a dividing heart. See what the person with a deceiving heart does not realize, a deceived heart or a cheating heart does not realize is that they are only deceived on on their, they have deceived themselves by themselves. They have only deceived themselves by themselves. That indeed is a heart that has turned on itself because it is divided. It believes it has a facsimile of wealth or it believes it has a facsimile of fame. Fame. It believes that it has these things, but indeed its position, it believes that its position in God is secured. But this is whom the Bible is referring to. When, again, I said this earlier, when in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, where it says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name? Have we not cast out devils and in thy name? We've done many wonderful works. But verse 23 in Matthew 7 says, and then will I profess unto them. And this is God talking. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Ye that work iniquity. Why? Because of one's failure to daily, as 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 says, to examine yourself, to see whether or not you are in the faith, to test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself? It says that Jesus Christ is in you. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is trying to live in you and abide in you, but you you at the same time are trying to hold the principles of Satan, trying to exercise the principles of Satan. And what is happening is you are indeed failing the test. You are 
failing the test. How many of us look back and review our day? What did we say? What did we do? What did we say that is of, that displays one a, one's cheating heart, one's willingness to 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 sit and sup with the devil and then move to another table and have a meal with God. What did we do that is telling people that we have a cheating heart, that we operate out of the natural or spiritual, as uh, we operate as natural or spiritual beings based on what is convenient in the moment. I'm not saying that if you have this cheating heart that God cannot forgive you. What I'm saying to you is that you can change. You can change. I'm saying the same thing I've been saying for the last few weeks. Repentance is knocking on your door, begging you to accept it, begging you, begging you to claim it as your very own, begging you to, to get, to put verbiage to it, to put words to it, to put your mouth to it because we cannot, we can no longer straddle the fence. We can no longer based on what is convenient in the moment or convenient in the times that we are in, in this earth, we can no longer straddle the fence. We can no longer allow our heart to be divided. We must decide this day whom we are going to serve. If we are in relationships that we can't be honest with each other in, then we shouldn't be in that relationship. If I'm in a, re when I was growing up and I, when I began to, um, when I heard that message and, and, and my pastor at that time was talking about lying, it made me under, to understand that if I have to lie to you for you to be my friend, or if I have to lie to you for you to accept me, then you are not my friend. Why? Because you're causing me to act out of my godly character. You're taking me away from the things, the good things, the solid things in Christ that my parents have taught me. So if that, if that is the case, if I have to be a liar to be your friend, then I should not be your friend. You are no friend of mine. If I have to be a liar to be accepted by you, then you, I do, I should not desire your acceptance. I should, I should not desire your company. I should not desire your love. If you're a guy, I should not desire your affection. Affection. If you can't set, accept the rules and the restrictions that are put on me from my parents, then we can't be friends. If my parents, if I was, when I was young, when I was 12, first of all, I wasn't allowed to date. I didn't get to date till I was 16. And even then my parents had restrictions on me. They had restrictions on the time the guy could call. They had restrictions on the time that he could visit. And I had to learn that and it was hard but i had to learn that if they couldn't accept if the guy couldn't accept those rules and he couldn't accept those restrictions then i was not to sneak out the house i was not to lie and go here there and say i was here and there and do all those other things i was not to do that because if i did that now i had stepped out of the realm of my parents' protection, and I was now on enemy territory, and anything could happen, and 
anything could happen. And there were times that I did step out of the realm of my parents' instructions and out of the realm of my parents' protections. And I was a praying somebody like, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, because there were times I should have been dead. I should have been dead and God still protected me. Many of us can think back to times, even today, when we stepped out of the boundaries that God had for us to protect us. We stepped out of those boundaries <coughs> and God still kept us. He protected us. And sometimes we stepped out of those boundaries over and over and over again. And God still kept us. He still kept us. He held us secure. He didn't let hurt, harm, or danger come to us. And some of us, we barely escaped. But when we got out of that thing, we never turned back. We never looked back. And what God is calling for today is for us to walk away from the things that cause us to act out of character, the godly character that has been set for us. He's calling us to walk away from the things, the people that cause us to walk out of the boundaries that he set for us. And he's calling us to him and he's calling us to own to own our boundaries, to own our discipline, because it is there to protect us, to protect our relationship with Christ. It is there so that we don't have to walk as one in a with a divided heart. We don't have to give. Listen, if you have, I've, I, I've even learned, uh, I even had to learn if you, not only if you have friends and, and you're growing up and you have, uh, you know, if you're single and, and there's guys that want to date you or even sometimes family, sometimes you're, they're doing, people are doing things that you know are not, let's go in this most simplistic form. You just simply know that that's not good for you. It might not be a bad thing, but it's not good for you. It takes you down a road that you feel like if I go down this road, I might not make it back. Even those things, you have to know what works for you in God and, and, and helps you to maintain your discipline in God and what does not work for you. What does not work for you? Sometimes we are a little bit, as Christians, we're too passive. We are way too passive. We allow ourselves to get talked into bullied into situations and circumstances that we know, we know are not going to be good for us, not going to be good for us, not only as an individual, but good for us as a, as a, as a, as a, with our families or as a family unit. If you have a spouse and children, we know these things. We know these things. And to my babies that are listening, my millennials, you know, these things you're on college campuses. You know, these things, you know, when you know, when the drinking is going to be excessive. And you know, that's not going to work for me. First of all, I'm not going to like the end result, the whole throwing up and getting sick. And second of all, I'm not going to like the headaches and everything. And then third of all, I just know better because I was bought up in God. 
And I know that it's against God's will for me to be drunk. I know it's against God's will for me to be high. I know it's against God's will for me to do drugs. You know these things, but you allow yourself to do it anyway because you want to be accepted. You want to look like big man. You want to look like big woman. You want to look like you you have full control and you know what you're doing, but it's leading you down a path that you're not going to be soon able to get away from or get out of. It would be easier for you to take your stand now, take your stand now as to what is beneficial towards your disciplined life with Christ. It would be better for you to take your stand now than try to take the stand in the hospital when you're going through alcohol poisoning, trying to take the stand in the, um, in the, um, detox center where now you're, you've bypassed weed. They call it the gateway drug. And now you're onto cocaine. It would have been a lot easier if you would have took your stand at weed. It would have been a lot easier if you would have took your, your stand at the first, um, alcoholic beverage that they offered. It would have been a lot easier if you just said no. It would have been a lot easier if you just said I had to study. It would have been a lot easier if you would have just left campus on the weekends and came home. It would have been a lot easier. See, we set ourselves up for these things. And then when we get in it, we can't, we don't know how to get out of it. When the truth of the matter is getting out is just as easy as getting in the same way you walked in, turn around and walk out. Turn around and walk out because otherwise your heart is going to betray you. Because why? Because it's a cheat. You got two things going on. It's split down the middle. One part of you is for God. That is your spiritual being and your flesh is for the enemy. Let me tell you something. You are always going to have a battle of the flesh. The flesh is always going to try to overrule. It's always going to try to shut down the spirit. That's why we stay in our Bibles. That's why we read our word because we want to build up our most holy faith so that our flesh stays subjected to our spirit. When we're not reading our word, when we're not practicing a disciplined life, this is when our flesh gets the better of us. And then our flesh starts to dictate to our spirit how things are going to be. Our flesh starts to dictate to our spirit. Oh, it's just a little lie. It's just a little lie. Our flesh starts to dictate to our spirit. Oh, it's just one little drink. It's just one little dream. Our flesh starts to dictate to our spirit. Yeah, but he or she did that. That's right. You need to get them back. Our flesh starts to dictate. Our flesh begins to take charge. Why? Because we did not feed our spirit man so that our spirit man can manage, can manage, can manage this unruly flesh. This unruly flesh. We all have unruly flesh. It is our job to build up our spirit man so that we can walk worthy within the vacation that we are called. And we are all called to a vacation in Christ. If it is nothing more than to simply be a disciplined one, a disciple of Christ, because guess what? People are watching our lives. They are watching how we live. They are watching how we speak. Why is it that you think the world today makes such a mockery out of Christianity? 
They make such a mockery out of the Christian, out of the what, because they feel like you don't have anything. You don't, and, and we don't have anything because you're undisciplined. You're, we're, we're overweight. We're eating whatever we want to eat. We're saying whatever we want to say. We're doing whatever we want to do. And then we say we're in Christ and we just got to be me. I'm just trying to keep it real. I'm just trying to keep it real. But the world sees us keeping it real as a failure, a failed, a failed disciplined one, a failed Christian. Why? Because we can't bring our flesh. We can't make our flesh subject. We can't make our flesh subject. It is not, listen, and I say this all the time, being a disciplined one, being a disciple of Christ, it is not just going to happen. You have to make a decision and then you have to monitor yourself to make sure that you follow through with the decision. If you're a liar today, when I was that young, when I was 12, it didn't just stop. I had to pay attention. I had to pay attention to my new goal. I didn't want to be a liar. I had to pay attention and I had to force myself that when the times when I was presented with opportunities to slip back into that, I had to pay attention and make myself not do that. It's like um, when you see people dieting, it's not that they no longer want that thing, but they have they have. This made a decision that they are not going to do that anymore. So they literally may go through their refrigerator and their cabinets and throw out everything that, that is, that has to do with things they don't want to eat anymore. And they may purchase everything that they want to eat instead. That's that leads them towards that healthy way of eating that they want to do. They might not want to eat broccoli and, and bake chicken breast every day, but they force themselves to eat it because they understand that I must I must uh, discipline my appetite. I must discipline my appetite because if I can't discipline my appetite, then I probably can't discipline my finances because I'm eating out all the time. I'm spending money on food that I shouldn't eat. So therefore I can't discipline my finances and they recognize the overall effect of just simply not being able to discipline themselves as, as a dieter or as a one that eats healthy. Just like at the age of 12, I was able to recognize I got to discipline myself to not lie because because I really believed what the senior said that if I lied, I'd cheat. And if I cheat, I'd steal. And if I still stole one day, I'd kill. I really believed that that would happen. It just seemed to be the natural progression. It, it seemed to be a progression. And I don't believe that anything, there is not one thing that you can do that not, is not going to progress to the next thing. So you have to think about that when you're doing things that not are not aligned with what God requires. Okay. Think of the big picture. We don't often look at the big picture. Okay. Now, if I do this thing that God is saying not to do, then what's next after that? What am I going to add on to that? When I get comfortable with lying, what am I going to add to that? When I get comfortable with eating whatever I want, what am I going to add to that? When I get comfortable with um, sowing discord, what am I going to add to that? When I get comfortable with cheating, what am I going to add to that? When I get comfortable with arrogance, what am I going to add to that? When I get comfortable with piety, what am I going to add to that? When I get comfortable with pride, my pride, what am I going to add to that? See, because we attract those things that we are. 
So if I'm prideful, I'm only going to attract more prideful people. If I'm arrogant, I'm only going to attract more arrogant people. So see, we gotta we gotta get out of this. We gotta get out of our own headspace. We have to get out of our own thoughts. Get out of our own. You know, I hear a lot of times in the workplace, they always say, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, that's probably not the room you want to be in. It's kind of the same thing when we think of the things of God. If if I'm if I'm only operating, if I'm only measuring me by me. If I'm only measuring my thoughts by my own thoughts and I'm not taking into consideration what God is saying, what my leadership is teaching, what my sisters and brothers that are in Christ are, are, are trying to exemplify in Christ. If I'm only taking me in consideration, then the chances of me being in the room, being the smartest one in the room is, is are highly likely are highly likely and I'm headed for destruction because I'm now measuring myself by myself. I'm not growing. I'm not making any changes because everything in my world, in my room is okay. Cause I'm measuring it all by what I think. I'm not taking into consideration what God is saying and what God is calling for today is he's simply calling for us to rise above rise above. How about this? Rise above the enemy's expectation. And when I say the enemy, I'm talking about the enemy in you. Rise above the enemy's expectation, the enemy in you, the enemy that would try to get in me, the enemy that would try to get in you. Rise above your, your own expectations. expectations. Rise above the limitations that you put upon yourself, the limitations that tell you that the way you live is okay, that the way you speak is okay. That the way you, the way you, um, the way you um, interact in the workplace is okay. How about we put a higher expectation on ourselves? How about we put a higher expectation on the words that we speak? A higher expectation on our actions, a higher expectation on our activities, a higher expectation on our engagement, a higher expectivity on the friends we choose, the relationships we tend to choose, the relationships we have, a higher expectation, a godly expectation. Take ourselves out of the room that only we are in. And stop measuring ourselves by ourselves. See, when God is calling us to this new level of repentance, this new level, he, he really gets us to the point where we have to start examining ourselves. We must start examining ourselves. We must start trying to understand and make sure that we are actually in the faith and we don't just think we are. We don't just think we are. See, because right now we're going through a phase where a lot of us, we just think we are. But if you get outside of the box, outside of the room that only you are in, only you are in and get in the room where there are leadership and there are sisters and brothers that are demanding a higher a higher calling, a higher calling you to a higher expectation, putting a demand, putting a demand on what you consider God. 
then we can come to a better understanding of what God requires of us. And then we'll be able to grow in God. And then we'll be able to walk in the vocation where he is calling us. Then we'll be able to fix our eyes on God. And we won't be constantly looking to the left and looking to the right and, and measuring ourselves by, by those that are not in Christ, by those who don't believe in Christ, by those who have a facsimile of Christ. If only, if only we can get beyond our own selves. God is calling us today to a higher level of repentance. He's calling us to examine the details of our words, the details of our actions, the details of our relationships. I am still talking repentance because it has not been fully done yet. It has not been fully grafted into us that repentance is necessary. It is necessary in our walk with Christ. We are not perfect beings and beings and right now we're failing more than we are succeeding in Christ because we are measuring ourselves by ourselves. And Christ is calling us to put away our lying tongues, to put away our, our abilities to deceive and be deceived, our abilities to cause divisions and schisms, our abilities to, to run after mischief and run after things that are not of God. God wants us to run after him, run after him in our relationships run after him with the word seek him he wants us to seek him while he may yet be found and right now he is extending his hands to us his hand to us he's extending his apostle his prophet He's extending his pastor. He's extending his teacher. He's extending his evangelist. He's extending the true, the true to us. But we must come out of our makeshift world, the one that we created ourselves where we're right all the time, the one that we create ourselves where we know everything, the one where we created where we are pious and arrogant in our own right, the one, the, the room that we created, that we operated in, that tells us we're great and that tells us we're wonderful. He's demanding that we come out of that room and step and step into the heavenly place where the higher expectations of him can be perceived and they can be grasped and they can be applied so that we too, so that we too will not stand in front of God one day and be cast away so that we can instead stand in front of him and hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant. See, I'm telling you this because things are about to get more difficult. It's not going to get any easier. And if we don't own our fellowship with Christ, if we don't own our relationship with Christ, and if we want to base it strictly on the little room that we've enclosed ourselves in, that tell us that we're wonderful, that tell us that we're great, that tells us that no one knows more than us, that tells us that we are deeply wonderful and spiritual, we are going to miss, we are going to miss the true and the living God. We are going to miss him. Repentance is required at this time. Repentance is required and it is necessary 
in this time and in this hour. It is necessary in this time and in this hour. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our Deliverer, we come to you today, God, with hands lifted up and we surrender. We surrender our will. We surrender our self-designated purpose. We surrender our piety. We surrender our arrogance. We surrender. We surrender our knowledge and our understanding to you. And we choose to open the door and come out of our self-made, self-created world. We stand up from the chair of authority and piousness and arrogance that we sat in because we built it for ourselves. We stand up and we leave that chair behind. We walk out of the enclosed room that we've created for ourselves that tells ourselves that we're great and we walk out of that room and we step into the heavenly places where we can be challenged where we can be challenged where we will challenge and and, and cause our words to come up to a words of Christ to come up to a higher level our understanding of you to come up to a higher level where we will humble ourselves before you. We leave arrogance in that room we created for ourselves and we step out into the heavenly place and we we take on a humble spirit. We take on a spirit God, your, your spirit God. We take on your wisdom. We take on your knowledge. We take on your understanding and we live, we live, we live in your presence, God. We tie around our own neck, God, your statutes, God, your rules, God, your regulations, God, your requirements, God. And we pray, God, that it keeps us day by day, that it serves as a daily reminder of what you require of us. We pray that it keeps us, God, as the scripture says, as we sleep, God. We pray, God, that it keeps us, oh God, as we as we go to and fro in the earth realm, God, in the name of Jesus, that it would keep our character aligned with your character, our words aligned with your words, our ways aligned with your ways, that it would keep our eyes fixed on you, God, like a flint. Keep us from looking to the left and the right for acceptance, oh God, but keep us, keep us aligned with you. Guide our footsteps today, God, as you have promised, oh God. Thank you for not allowing our foot to slip, oh God. We recognize today that we need you. We depend on you. We have no other help. All of our hope is in you, oh God. When the enemy, God, when he comes in like a flood, it is you, God, only you who raises up the standard, oh God. Only you who covers us with your blood. Only you who surrounds us with your hedge of protection, oh God. Only you, oh God, 
can, can unify the body of Christ, God. Cause us to speak words that unify, God, and that do not divide. Cause us, oh God, to speak words that build up and do not tear down. Cause us, oh God, cause us, oh God, to join hands with our sisters and our brothers in Christ, oh God, that we might understand you in the fullness of your power, in the fullness of your authority and the fullness of your greatness God in the name of Jesus we give you God all glory we choose to give you God all honor you don't have to wrestle it from our hands or wrestle it from our mouth we give you glory we tell you you are worthy you are holy you are the most high God all God all of our hope is in you I cause my voice to go out throughout the world God throughout the world God that men and women would kneel and repent Repentance, oh God, and repentance of who they thought they were, oh God, and that they would now live an acceptance, oh God, of who you are in them, oh God, and that they would allow you full access to their mind, God, to their mouth, God, to their ear gate, God, to their heart, God, to their hands to build the things of God, to their feet to walk in the things of God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God, every leader, every Christian leader all over the world, God, I pray that you would bless them today, that you would increase them, God. Give them patience. Give them stamina through these hard times, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that no matter what it looks like, your true leaders, God, let them know that you are with them. You're, you comfort them, God. You are with them. You have never left them. You will never forsake them. And to your people, oh God, God, undergird them with strength, oh God, in the name of Jesus, undergird them with strength, God, cause their hope to be in you. Cause their feet, God, not to falter in your way, God. And cause them, oh God, to reach for you daily, daily, daily. Reach for you in the name of Jesus. Cause their ways to be aligned with your ways. Let your blood-covered hedge of protection be around the minds of your people. Thank you, God, for your provision today. Thank you, God, for more than enough today, oh God. Thank you, oh God. Open the eyes, God, of your believers, oh God, that they might see your provision. Not just your spiritual provision for them, but your natural provision for them, God. Your natural provision that they require, God, of jobs, of finances, of wisdom and stewardship. Cause your natural provision to manifest for your people today, God. Remove the burden, the weight off their shoulder, the worry, the concern about their tomorrow, God, in the name of Jesus. Cause their eyes to be fixed on you, just fixed on you. Their promise, their hope, their provider. Cause their eyes to be fixed on you, so none shall be lost. Guard our children, a blood-covered hedge, God, around our children. No hurt, harm, or danger come nigh their dwelling. In the name of Jesus, though, God, they may have their mind fixed 
on one direction, God, I command your hand to guide them, to slowly guide them in your way. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God, remove all doubt, all division and schism from their minds. In the name of Jesus, remove all past hurts. In the name of Jesus, remove who they think they are and cause them to know who they are in you. In the name of Jesus, God, I ask your will to be done, not only in my life, but in the listener's life, in their children's life, in their family's life, God. In the name of Jesus, we give you all glory. We give you all honor. In Jesus' name, I pray and I thank you. Amen. 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 I ask you today to visit my website, www.marieelizabeth.org, and I ask you to look at the materials there. There are materials there to bless you, to bless you in your spiritual growth. There are materials there to um to just guide you throughout your day and to keep you encouraged and if this word bless you on today i ask you to sow a seed to bless this podcast um at cash at marie kenyon or paypal marie kenyon and i thank you so much for everything i thank you for for joining this podcast today and look for me on later on this week i might do a pop-up i might bless you on this week look for me later on this week and i'll look for you god bless you and god keep you my prayer god bless you and god keep you god bless you and god keep you keep your mind in these times god keep your mind in this time until next week or until later on this week i'm going to check in with you look for me to do a quick live I'm going to check in with you again. I'm going to do a quick live. Until then, God bless you and God keep you.